I believe that people can do almost anything if they feel safe and if they're happy. They can do almost anything. So if you hire a right person, you can easily take a bet on their skills. If you find in front of you a person who is very smart and at the same time very humble to learn more. So this combination of a personality literally can deliver anything. And I believe in the human ability to adapt and to learn. It is unstoppable. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. Joining us on the show today is the Digital E-Commerce and Innovation Director at Extra, Iman Amishar. Established in Saudi Arabia in 2003 by United Electronics Company, Extra offers leading international brands of TVs, computers, and much more. Iman builds and transforms digital teams by working with people, processes, and products. She believes that people are an entity's greatest asset and that every team member can be a vital product leader. Iman, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. All right, so to kick our episode off today, typically we just like to learn a little bit more about you and set the tone of the episode and learn more about you and these awesome experiences that you have and what's led you to your role at Extra. So maybe we can start off by you telling me a little bit more about your career path and some of the key experiences that have shaped your approach to digital transformation and product innovation. So it's a 17 years journey. How it started off is that a graduate of a computer science and I joined as a software engineer for three years. I actually have the responsibilities of both the quality engineering and software engineering. Right after I started my aspiration being a business analyst or a product owner. But 10 years ago, maybe or 17 years ago, that was very new and it was not exactly a common career. I didn't even know that it existed by then. But I was too young to be a business analyst by then. And I worked for a software house. Then I moved to Vodafone where I started off my career as a product owner. I was a junior product owner. I was the first one because it was very new. So I kept on sharing the importance of the existence of a business analyst or a product owner, like managing the requirements and managing the flow of demands and so on. So this is how it started. And definitely because this role filled a gap, it was very hard to let go of. So then the team grew bigger. And after two years, it was five. Afterwards, I moved to Vodafone International Services, that is the Vodafone Shared Services Center in Egypt. And by that time, it was the center responsible for the development of Vodafone digital products. So my Vodafone, the IoT, and a lot of things. And I moved as a senior product owner there for my Vodafone account. And again, this is how I learned everything about uh, products and product ownership and agile and all of this digital factory frameworks. Then the accounts grew bigger. So by that time, Vodafone Shared Services Center of Egypt looked after around 22 local markets. And this is where I grew. My manager back then gave me a chance to look after all the product owners for Vodafone digital products. By then, they were around 22 and they were distributed in uh, every local market squads. So my responsibility back then was to build the capability and build the team knowledge and their practices and to also make sure that they grow and at some point in time, take my chair. After 10 years of this journey, so this is my main career journey in Vodafone, like 10 years. 
I moved to a very different industry and actually to the transformation track. So the retail uh, industry in Egypt asked me to join one of the biggest uh, retailers in Egypt that started off as a traditional retail and then they decided that it's time to be a more digitally driven organization with physical presence. And this is where I joined to rebuild the digital capability back then and rebuild the front-facing channels, so full transformation of the ecosystem and also what the customer sees and how we operate from the back office and also the people capability. This journey took for me three years and this is where we thought of how to be data-driven, how to also build a team that is young enough to transform yet senior enough in the industries to actually add value to it. And it was a very, very interesting journey. I grew a lot in this one. It took me three years to do the full transformation. It was the first one. A lot is going on now. Then I moved to the same industry, but a different market. So Extra is the leading retailer in the Middle East with main presence in Saudi. And with the same as for how to rebuild the digital capability, how to rethink it, and how to unleash its full potential. And the journey took around a year now, and we've rebuilt the process and the team and the ways of working and the product strategy. And this is where we are now. So quite a long one, but this is what happened. A lot of firsts in that journey as well, from the very start of your career to leading the first team. That's really interesting. I feel like you probably learned so much being the first in those rules because you have to pave the way for others. You have to find a way to figure it out yourself. So really, really interesting. And I'm sure also brought a lot of insights to your role at Extra. So I know you touched on a little bit, but what would you say are the key elements of that role? Yeah, so mainly three things. One is how to build a process that is sustainable. It is very common for products team or digital teams in general that they build journeys or they build products based on the direction of the executive team by the influence or the pressure of the stakeholders. And the stakeholders here, I mean, that there is the pressure that sometimes comes from the operations team due to some opportunities or problems that they want to solve for. Maybe the operations team, maybe the marketing teams, maybe the business team, the commercial and so on. The main role of the product team is to build a process with every key stakeholder that at the end of the day, has a business objective to meet. So this is the first thing that we're trying to do, how to build a product strategy and a process that sustains the ongoing and evolving demands of a digital organization. So that's one thing, building a process. And the second thing is how to be data-driven, how to always evaluate our decisions based on data, how to be transparent with data, how to build data models and data communication that is unbiased, and how to name everything as they are. An assumption is an assumption. An experiment is an experiment. And a fact is a fact. And we build decisions accordingly. So this is the second thing. And the third thing is how to be futuristic, like uh, how to integrate what's next into your day-to-day. So as an example, we have AI, we have ChatGPT, and we have things that we don't know of yet. How to make sure that your team and your organization is ready to adopt. So this is also one of my responsibilities, but this is why I'm here at the end of the day. That's awesome. So you must be very busy, yes, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, you get mainly very busy at the beginning while you draw or sketch how the organization would look like. But then once you have a process in place, 
a decision-making process in place, not only operation process, a decision-making process in place. And once you have a lead team that is very strong to be in line with your vision, then you actually now are in front of a system that is working. And your responsibility now is to scale it, improve it, and be more creative in it, and to introduce more value from it. I think that's really interesting because I feel like you're working in a couple different areas all at the same time when you are handling things like innovation because you're trying to handle the current product that you're working on or the current set of products you're working on, but also staying futuristic, like you said. So how do you take that data? How do you use it for current decisions and deciding how to be futuristic, which I think is a hard balance to find. And I guess one thing that I'd be curious to know about is I would say for us in this podcast that we try to uncover the topics of customer retention and really focusing on customer experience and things like that. Your role is absolutely imperative for it in figuring out how to impact customer retention. So in your opinion, how does your work impact or help improve customer retention for the company? So you're trying to balance between two things and two things are equally important. One is we know quite well as an organization what are the main KPIs that identifies the success of the organization, right? And every department knows that really well. Every sub-organization in the organization knows really well where the problem is, where the potential is, and where the opportunity is, right? And they're all in line with the business objectives. And our responsibility as a digital team is to enable all the organization to be successful. And on the other thing, while doing so, you need to design it in a way that is in sync with the front-facing customer. So the front-facing customer at the end of the day just want to buy a phone, just want it at a good price, just want a smooth experience, and so on. So this is the main responsibility of us. So how you integrate the flow of demands and urgent topics and hot topics and actually deliver it in a way that is customer-centric, right? So how we're doing this on our end is we have four main functions. One function is the data function, the digital analytics function. So this is the function that is responsible to make sure it's our radar. So they make sure that we have the right data tools that will help us read data properly, accurately, and take the right actions. And the second team is the products team. So how we created the visions in the products team in a way that helps them be in sync with the stakeholders. So as an example, uh, the first division is responsible for the operations domain. And the second one is responsible for the after-sale domain. And another one is responsible for only the complaints domain. And another one for the conversions and the shopping success domain. So this enables the products team to be front-facing to the stakeholders that are only relevant to this type of show or problem statements or opportunities. So that's on one end also helps stakeholders channel or voice their demands to a single person or a single group of people. So this is on another thing. And then there is the product design team. And this is the team that is responsible to deliver design solutions, not deliver visual assets. So this is the main difference mm -hmm. here. What's different between the design solution and the visual asset is that a design solution literally addresses your question. Like, how do we deliver the business objectives in a way that is appealing to the front-facing customers? So this is the major responsibility of the experience team, if I call them, the product design team. So they study the best and common practices, and they adapt it to our case, our demands, our customer base. And they have to be very mindful because in a case like Extra, it is wide organization covering more than one country. 
Saudi, Bahrain, Oman. So there might be differences in uh, the tone of voice that is suitable for one country or another and so on. So this is the team that actually translates the product requirements or the product funds into design solutions. And the fourth function, we call it the orchestrators, the maestros, the delivery team. They are the agile practitioners. They are the ones who are able to deliver. Like how do they plan the capacity of the engineering team? They plan all the activities, all the product roadmaps. They synchronize the design activities, the copies, the UX writing activities, everything. And they create a timeline for how things will go or actually a release plan for how things will be delivered. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> but it's obviously very important for something like Extra where you're dealing with a lot of different things. And like you said, you're dealing with different target users and demographics, and you can't just slap one solution on for every single person. It has to be different in order to create that exceptional customer experience. And I think one thing that I noted as you were describing the four different main functions that you had there was the importance that people play in this. Because I think you have all these different focuses, whether it's the design solutions team or the visual assets or the maestros at the end who are going and executing on that strategy. And so I think one key thing here is, I'm sure you find this every single time that you're working on different projects or bringing these teams together, is how people come together to deliver this from start to end. And so I'm curious from your point of view of being a leader in this space is the importance of people. So why do you think that people are a company's most important asset? Because I believe that people can do almost anything if they feel safe and if they're happy. They can do almost anything. So if you hire a right person, you can easily take a bet on their skills. If you find in front of you a person who is very smart and at the same time very humble to learn more. So this combination of a personality literally can deliver anything. And I believe in the human ability to adapt and to learn. It is unstoppable. It's only when and if ego comes on the way. So then people have different to priorities maybe, and then they will want to achieve different targets that will not exactly always be in line with this. So key here is to hire for personality, hire for people who are smart and humble, and actually be very transparent as to why are they here? Why are they an asset to this organization? What different do they introduce? Because only when they feel how unique they are and they are chosen for a specific purpose and that they really merely know the end-to-end story, They will try to do their best. They will share more. They will try to give more. And once they do, you'll find a lot of gems coming out of them, especially if they're humble and very smart. So you'll find magic happening. That is an absolute unstoppable combination, being humble and smart. Because you're willing to learn and you're building on top of what you already know. So I think that's two very key things to look for. And I guess as you've led different teams, how would you provide advice to other organizations on harnessing that power of their people to improve customer experience and retention? Because I guess, obviously, in the general sense, it's important to invest in people and doing whatever they can to bring out that potential. But if we focus on customer experience specifically and customer retention specifically, what advice would you give to organizations to bring out that power of those people or that potential of people from that commission and being humble and smart, do you think? So actually two things. One is that it's very easy to make someone curious. So we need to always make them curious about how the customer sees us. 
you need to trust them. You need to give them access to the tools that would give them visibility on what the customer say, what the customer sees, and you need to give them this visibility and use their curiosity in order for them to explore more and to ask good questions and so on. So that's uh, one thing. And the second thing, they need to be anchored also to some KPIs, or at least positive indicators. I like the positive indicators more than the KPIs because sometimes we are not sure if we are meeting the targets, but we are always sure if we are in a positive direction or not. So you need to give them some keys like, what is the volume of ratings that came in? What is the app ranking? What is the store ranking? What is the usage ranking? What is the adoption rates? What are the uninstall rates? So you need to give them these keys. And from these keys, they will start to be curious as to the performance of our platforms in every key. And then they will start to create patterns. So as an example, the best and common practices are X. Yet our pattern says that months and months we increase in installs or in uninstalls and so on. This means that we have potential here and there and they start giving you back. But there needs to be also someone who is responsible for the engagement and the retention in the organization, right? Someone who is having a product mindset integrated with a growth mindset as well. So they know how to see segments of customers. They understand the usage differently of the customers, the adoptions, the open rates. They understand things a little bit differently, yet from digital perspective as well. So you need to have someone like this. But this doesn't mean that this is the only person responsible for the engagement and the retention. It is a culture. So everyone in the team and the organization needs to be very curious as to who said what and why, what device did they use, how many reviews did you get, and the like. But from mm-hmm. what standpoint, you need to have a dedicated team member. Interesting. Do you have any examples, I guess, of when at a time maybe that you or you've been part of a company that has created that environment for people to be curious? Because I think that's such a great point. And I think the fact is when you're thinking about things like customer experience slash retention, it's really about taking those extra steps to understand your customers and doing something that's going to improve their experience or help them understand how your product impacts their daily habit or whatever the end use case is. But I don't think it's so easy to figure out how to create that environment of being curious. I don't think that's a just one answer to that. So I'm curious if you've ever experience that yourself or if you've done something before where you've created that environment. So I'm curious how someone might go about doing that. One of the practices that helped us a lot is for the products team in specific Mm -hmm. to think of their backlogs as a problem backlog as opposed to a features backlog or a journey's backlog. So by this, they are only anchored to what problem are we solving for? And then they start asking different questions. this is the problem. For how long do we have this problem? What is the impact of this problem? And how other players are dealing with the problem, that sort, and so on. So if you start picturing everyone in the products team with their different domains, focusing on problems as opposed to that we need to deliver on this solution or you need to deliver on this design enhancement or we need to deliver on this journey, then you'll find very different practices going on in your day-to-day. Yet you need to also be very mindful that you need to also create some kind of a label. It is called experiment. It is called innovation. It is called anything. Because their gut feeling will play a very big role in what they really want to do. Sometimes they really want to do something because a very interesting player did it. And sometimes because they have a very, very strong feeling that this will work. So if you didn't give them the space to try and to experiment and to discover it themselves, 
then they will then use the problem statements or the data to try to create a way for the reasoning to take place. So you need to enable them. Enable them. If you want to be be creative, just call it creative. If you want to experiment, just experiment, but call it experiment and so on. I think that's really interesting. Actually, as you were describing that, I was thinking about an experience I had once as an employee of a different company. And it's almost like putting people in an environment to think creatively, but you have to almost create that environment or position it differently, like you just said, because a backlog in my mind is always just features that we have to get to at some point or features that we have to do at some point. It's almost a to-do list versus a problem list. And it's almost thinking about it as a problem set because that way, when you're in the mindset of solving a problem, you're thinking differently than a to-do list. But it actually reminded me of this one time that I was working at a company where once a year, they would almost stop all operations for a whole day. And what they would do is they would bring all the different teams together. So I was on the sales team at this time. But they would bring together the sales team, customer success, product team, design team, et cetera, including top management as well. This wasn't just for certain groups. It was for everybody. And what they would do is they would have each team describe the top three challenges they're facing right now. So let's say with the sales team, we were facing a churn rate that wasn't ideal. And we were trying to figure out how to reduce churn rate over a three-month period. And then on the other side, you have the product team who was trying to solve XYZ issue with the customer onboarding series, let's say. But what was really interesting was that instead of having the sales team work on the sales problem, they put us on the product problem, which is super different than anything I've ever, ever worked on because I've never worked on product. I've never done the technical side of things. But what this allowed us and enabled us to do was the fact to think of something completely different and almost apply a sales approach to a product problem. And what you found out of this is very creative ideas because it was approaching a problem of an entirely different domain, bringing my own experience to it and being put in that environment to think differently. And it was really interesting because that company actually came up with a lot of different initiatives from those days, even though it was just once a year. And they would push these different ideas, different features and have these different thoughts about it because you had people in a different context solving a different problem. So just like you said, curating that environment so that they can go and do something exceptional. So I think that's really, really interesting to bring people together in a different environment. That's a lovely idea, actually. It's very inspiring. Yeah, it was really cool. Actually, I really enjoyed that idea. I feel like for my own efforts, I would do that as well. But I think it's really important kind of bringing this whole topic together about the importance of people and how bringing them to the full potential, like you just said, can do magical things. And so I think it's really important. But I guess that's one domain of one thing that you focus on and the other is around digital transformation. So I guess if we're focusing on digital transformation and its impact on customer retention, how do you think the customer journey has evolved with the increase of digital technologies? In general, there are two things that are very obvious before Mm -hmm. we go on to details related to specifics. But the adoption of mobile devices is crazy, right? So in almost every statistic that I saw, the native apps adoption is a lot higher in contribution to sales from desktop or any other browsers. So that's one thing. It is a mobile device that is always accessible. But the reason that it's accessible is that it carries a lot of social media that also has its own techniques and having the customers staying engaged and hooked all the time to knowing what's new in social apps. So the pro and con of it is that it allows businesses to create experiences that will reach the customers instantly. But 
we need to be conscious that the attention span of customers are also now very, very, very yes. little. <laughs> In case any latency, anything goes wrong, yeah. you simply consciously or subconsciously, you just switch to another application and then maybe you revert back or maybe not. So if you're there, you need a lot of technical infrastructure and technical investment to make sure that your product is actually safe, responsive, performing, and fast. So this is one thing, and this is almost now a utility. It is not a nice to have anymore. It's a do or die, right? But it's oh, very in the background. It's very difficult in the background. And the second thing is related to customers are now very aware and very mindful to permissions, to the data that's being collected to how you collect it. If you want to know personal information about the customer in terms of their orientation, anything of that sort, you need to be very mindful as to how and why are you requesting them. And you need to be very transparent about it. So that's a second thing. Also, customers now are very, very mindful about their rights. If anything goes wrong, how do I return? How do I exchange? How do I get compensation? And they actually compare products based on this. So it's not only the experience, it's not the visual asset, it's not the how you look like, it's not about the brand, it's about the experience that you deliver post-purchase, which is also do or die. And customers now have a lot of options in all fields almost. There is no monopoly in almost any industry. So these are the main things. And definitely the secure payments and the, the secure passing of payment information. Customers are now very aware, even if they're very young, Gen Zs are even more aware of their rights yes. and, uh, <laughs> and of their options. So you need to step up the game. Yeah, I think that's good. I think it's so true that there's more competition or there's more reason to stay absolutely into what's going on because of the fact that you just said you need to step up your game and be there and be understanding how fast things are really moving. I guess on the positive side of that or the flip side of that, do you have any examples, whether from your own experience or even as a consumer maybe, of how this kind of digital transformation has improved customer experience and customer retention. So you kind of commented on the some of the challenges that you might face or the impacts that it has on businesses' operations and having, having to keep up with these things. But have you seen examples of when it's gone and improved retention? Yeah. So I'm going to give an example, not for extra, but for a product that I admire a lot. This product is a grocery app. Everyone is like competing on the time to deliver. Yet they are the only ones that they stayed at their promise in delivering a quality customer experience. And when you shop for groceries, a lot of things can go wrong because these are sensitive products. It's consumable by your family. So their promise here is that if anything goes wrong with the product, just in five, 10 minutes, you'll find a replacement. So you can only imagine like how the dark store operation or the back office operation operate in order to allow for an experience like this to take place. It's very admirable, especially that now customers, yes, they will want their products fast, but if they are purchasing sensitive products, consumable products, edible products by their families, then they will want to make sure that they are in safe hands. And also shows that the brand is very confident about the supply. The main inspiration to me, to be honest here in this startup, is that they know quite well how the customer feels. They know how to draw a reverse operation in terms of if anything goes wrong, we know how to operate if things go wrong, not on an exceptional basis, but there is a standard process for it, which is something that is very inspiring, to be honest. And then you'll find the traction and the base and the trust that they build around their brand and their own branded products. It's very, very high, exceeds any of the other players. So 
this is one inspiration to me that I hope we, we work on as well. Awesome. Actually, when you were talking about this, it's actually a very interesting example because there's more factors at play than just one. So right now I'm currently based in Toronto, Canada. And at one point I was traveling to Colombia for a month. And at the time we were there for a month and we were in different Airbnbs. And so we weren't eating out every single day. We were getting groceries as well. But when you're in a new country and you're ordering groceries and you're trying to figure out what to do, I almost had to figure out how to build trust with these different apps that I saw because I didn't know if it was going to be good quality. I didn't know what to expect, but also it was very much about the convenience factor. So the fact is there was two different huge things that play here. And I remember there's this one app that I ordered and it got to me instantly. I think it took maybe 15 minutes for the groceries to get to my Airbnb, which I thought was incredible. However, when the groceries did get there, some products were wrong and some products weren't of the highest quality, especially around the produce and things like that. So I actually didn't order again because I was thinking it's great that it got here fast and maybe I'll order perishable items or maybe different snacks or things like that again. But it's definitely a concern if I'm eating these vegetables and things like that and it's not the highest quality because sure, convenience is one factor, but just like you said, safety is another because you're ordering products that you and your family are consuming. And so I think that's a great example because you need to know when someone doesn't like a product and replacing that or the logistics and the supply chain around things like that. So I feel like that's an incredible example that you shared there. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> when we talk loyalty, there are two folds. So there is the fold that have the overall brand reception to complaints or reverse yeah. operations and so on. So this is very, very critical. And on the other hand is how the product actually engages with the customer at the right time. So what's very yeah. common is the cart abandonment on the customer's birthday and special events, maybe creating segments of customers, but based on a lot of things, based on their usage, based on their volume of transactions, their pattern of transactions. So customers consume more on weekends or with special items. Customers actually open the app more on daytime, not at night. So these yeah. are the behavioral segments that you need tools to create. And you need teams to work on. And if we revert back to the growth team, so this is the team that creates actually the segments, transactional segments, behavioral segments, and typical segments, like if they are uh, retail customers or e-commerce customers and so on. And then they curate very special offers to them, which we call customer value management, which is very, very specific offerings or communication to certain customers. So this needs data. And it needs growth teams in order to really curate segmented offerings and communication. So one of also of the practices that one interesting player is working on is that if they find you switching away from the browser for some reason at the sensitive state, so they pop up with a joke. So they keep you there for longer and you're actually introducing an emotion in a sensitive part of the journey like this. Interesting. You commented on a term that I actually haven't heard before, so I'd love to know a little bit more about it, which you said customer value management. Is that under retention? And how does that play a role in customer retention, I guess? I'd love to know a little bit more about that because I haven't heard that word before. Yeah. So the customer value management is a team or a scope. This scope is responsible for doing special events or special offers or special communication to certain behaviors. And based on data, you first segment the behaviors of the customers. So this segment of customers mostly open the apps at day, not at night. Or possibly in Feb, they most probably shop 
pre-made products as opposed to male ones. So this type of behavioral inclination. And there's another segment that has to do with the sales. So the tickets that this group of customers buy is uh, mostly above X. The middle segment is Y and so on. So there is sales segmentation and there is behavioral segmentations. The team who work on this actually know how to segment this customer, create from them lists, mostly whitelists, automated lists, according to how advanced your campaign management and analytics will are. And they actually craft offerings and communication based on this and only this. Okay, interesting. So there is specific data-driven insights around targeted groups of customers so that you can increase the value of each customer. Yeah, there are segments that are micro-segments and there is personal. Each one of them, if you calculate the lost opportunity in them, you'll find a lot of interesting data. So if you just curate an offer to them, you'll find very, very different drive for the sales and for the engagement. If we talk specifically about the retention, you'll find as well one of the engagement indicators as to customers uninstalled the app or customer came twice and never came back or customers came twice and were located at a competitor store and so on. So this is the team working only on the retention. And accordingly, they do also effort into discounts that you can't say no to in an upcoming event and on Apple event as an example. So this is one tactic that you use in that sense. But there are metrics that indicate churn and according to these metrics, you identify the groups that you want to focus on and you need to bring them back and you specify a special offer for them. That's really interesting. I'm going to take a look further into that because I think there's so much that you can dive into under customer experience, customer retention, using data to drive that based on all these wonderful examples that you've provided. So I'll definitely take a look and I'm sure the listeners will as well. But with that, we'll bring our conversation to a close. And I thank you so much for providing all those insights, those examples. I think it's really helpful for our listeners to know different perspectives on using data, using the power of the people of the company, and using this digital transformation concept to bring elevated experiences and customer retention strategies. But just to close out our conversation, one thing that we always do on our episodes is just a bit of a lightning round. So first question, which clothing brand would you love to be in charge of marketing for? It's a brand called Witty because it promotes the curly heads. Oh, I love that. Okay, cool. I'm going to check that out. That's awesome. Okay, second question. What three attributes do you think that everybody in marketing needs to have? Data analysis and insights. So not only reading data, but also driving insights from them. And market awareness. So I think that the marketing team needs to be a local team, needs to be very, very embedded in the culture in order for them to know the whereabouts of will the customer like and will the customer not like. I like that. I figured you were going to see something data-driven because I feel like that was a theme that you had throughout your answer <laughs> in our conversation. So I like that one. Okay, last but not least, what is your favorite brand logo? I would choose Nike. Nike. Oh, look at that. <laughs> for those of you listening, I'm wearing a Nike logo on my shirt. It's a perfect coincidence. If anyone from Nike is hearing this, this is great marketing. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with me once that has always stayed with you? So yes, there's one is that you might not know everything from the get-go. Just keep trying. And uh, the key to every success story is that I just tried one more time. So keep doing that. So good. Oh, no, good stuff. (laughs) But I love that a lot. I feel like it's such a nice reminder when 
things aren't necessarily going the way that you want it to, because you just try one more time, that could be the time. So I love that. And then a really nice way to bring our whole episode to a close today. So thank you so much, Imani. It was awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Lauren. I really had fun. Thank you so much. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.